0: Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 18. Now last week, if I remember correctly, we looked at that Christmas on the periphery, Christmas on the edge, or you know, on the sidelines, and, and we saw Elizabeth, the mother of John. Today, we're going to look at Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1. do not be afraid to take your wife, Mary, as your wife. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being roused from sleep, did the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we're here this morning with bright spirits and happy smiles, because you are here. Your church building is decorated. We've heard your praises sung. We remember Jesus coming from the very beginning to save us from our sins. We praise you for that. We know you inhabit the praise of your people. And Father, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit as only you can do. Make your word come alive. Make it applicable to us. Make it very clear to us what you would have us do this morning. Father, I especially pray for those that are seeing with the sound of my voice that have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that they do that. And we'll praise you for it in Christ's holy name. Amen. amen. Now, I get a kick out of reading what kids write. Uh, if you haven't realized it, kids are some of my favorite people. They, they just tell it like it is, but they do it in a nice way. And uh, these are letters that wound up to Santa that somehow the post office didn't get to, and they opened them up, and here's what we find. Dear Santa, my mother said that if I don't brush my teeth three times a day, you won't come and see me. Are you a dentist? (laughs) Signed, Lloyd. Dear Santa Claus, for Christmas, I would like a real doctor's bag. I want to try some operations on my friend's. Milton, if you meet Milton, run. Dear Santa, only one thing for Christmas, dynamite. (laughs) Nothing ever exciting happens around here, Albert. I don't know about Albert either. Now, a lot of us identify with Albert, nothing exciting seems to happen, and we think that The awards, the honors, the special things that happen always happen to somebody else. And if we're going to serve God, and if we're going to really count for the kingdom, that we have to be something special or spectacular or whatever word you want to use, and nothing could be further from the truth. You see, it's not just self-defeating thinking. It's erroneous, false thinking. The Christmas season is a time to remember how God used people. You see, in our story today, he uses Joseph, an ordinary working-class man who earned his living as a carpenter, who had the ordinary everyday problems that we have also. We're going to look at those this morning. But I want you to remember one thing, if you don't remember anything else from this morning. God uses ordinary people with ordinary problems to accomplish his extraordinary will. God uses ordinary people... With their ordinary problems to accomplish his extraordinary will. And so let's look at some of these things, remembering that God wants to use us also. First of all, I want you to realize that Joseph had marital problems. Now, did you hear that? See, we got this idea or have this idea that the biblical characters live some kind of falterala land where there wasn't any problems and nothing could be further from the truth. Joseph had marital problems. If you look at verses 18 through 20, it, it tells us that. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, and Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. When I say marital problems, you need to understand what a betrothal was. See, we don't have anything like that in our day. We call it an engagement, but engagements are made and broken, made and broken repeatedly in our day. Now, a lot of times, they're engaged to cover up sin in their life. Adults, you know what I'm talking about. But see, betrothal in that day worked like this. You were betrothed for at least a period of one year. Usually, the marriages were arranged and the young man and woman would come together. She would cook for him and, and sew his clothes up. All those kind of things in her mom and daddy's house. And they did everything except know each other physically. And that way, they knew it was going to be a good match. And they prepared for marriage. Because everybody knows that first year of marriage is rough. Amen. That was my wife that said amen the most. She married a crazy person. Right there. You can tell her. She heard it. But you see, it was so serious in that day that you couldn't get out of a betrothal without writing a bill of divorcement. Okay? It was binding. And you had to write the person a bill of divorcement. And so, it could only be broken like that. So what's the problem? It's the bind is what I call it. Not just the betrothal, but the bind. Joseph found himself in a bind. Because here he is, he's young, he's energetic, he's a carpenter, he's happy about getting married. He's got a good young bride. The Bible describes her as a virgin. and, And all at once she's found to be with child. And he knows it's not his. Whoa. Think about he's been through this process and his dreams are crushed. Because he thinks she's been unfaithful. You need to understand that. He was really upset. You See, he's got problems because legally in Jewish eyes, even though they haven't come together as man and wife, he's considered man and wife. And she's found with child and he knows it's not his. So what to do? He's in a bind. The supposed unfaithfulness is breaking his heart as unfaithfulness does in the world today also. What about the best? How would Joseph respond? How would he handle his marital problems? The law said that he had one of two options. He could take her before the city gates and say she's with child and it's not mine and they would stone her right there. That's what the law said. He wasn't guilty. He thought she was guilty. The other option, privately and secretly, he would write her that bill of divorcement, give it to her, and everything just swept under the rug. What would he do? It says he being a just man chose to give her that bill of divorcement privately. You see, Joseph had problems. Don't ever think that he didn't. I believe in this situation, what Joseph does shows why God chose him to be the earthly father of the son. Because he said being a just man, he just wanted to put her away privately. He was in love with her still. He didn't want to embarrass her in front of everybody. He didn't want her to die. So he did the best he could for her. And for that baby, I think he did that his whole life. You see, he had made that commitment and God had tested, allowed that commitment to be tested. And then when he does what's just, what's right, God intervened. Did you hear that? When he did what was just, what is right, God intervened. Sometimes in the midst of our problems, God leaves us in our problems and we don't like it. Well, God's not hearing my prayers. God's not doing that. Sometimes he leaves us there to see how we're going to act. What are we going to do? We think that we only have problems in this day. They've been around since the beginning of Adam and Eve. And God intervenes when we act justly or correctly according to his word. We need to act in a godly manner, towards all of our relationships, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's immediate family, whether it's extended family, whether it's church family, whether it's neighbors, we need to act in a way that honors our Savior. And think about this. With all of his problems, with all of his problems, he has the honor, the privilege, and the responsibility of raising the Messiah, God's only son. You talk about testing a person's character. If we were honest, how many would have enjoyed that 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 responsibility? Not me. You see, problems. Now, I want you to hear this: problems do not always mean God's displeasure. Amen. Did you hear that? Amen. Problems don't only mean, don't always mean God's displeasure. A lot of times problems are because we're trying to live for God. I just rattled your cage. I want you to hear that because you're not going to hear it on TV and radio. They're going to tell you have faith, give me money and everything will be good. That's not true. Amen. The more we try to serve God, He allows those things to polish us to make us more like Christ. And believe me, Joseph went through some polishing, so he had marital problems, and he dealt with it in the way he knew how to, turn it over to God. The second thing, he had money problems. Money problems? Yeah. You see, it sort of works like this. You may not have heard of uh, Newbar Gulpigan. I can hardly say his name. He was a rich man in England and he was an industrialist. He had invested in a lot of companies. He bought and sold companies and he was filling out one of those forms, you know, for the rich and famous And, and he came to the to the part that said position in life. Now, what do you put in your position in life? I'm a guy who takes over companies, divides them up and sells them. Or, you know, I'm a guy that makes lots of money off of other people's work. What what are you going to put in position in life? And he's grinned real big and he wrote it down. And when the secretary read it to type it up, under position in life, he said, enviable. Enviable? Well, you might try to put that in Joseph's life. You think, man, you got it made. God's going to take care of you. You're raising the boy. Enviable? No, he had money problems. It seemed like anything but enviable. Now think about it, he's a carpenter. Good, hard-working guy. He works for a little, and yet he has problems. I mean, everybody's going to know when Jesus comes that they, they were married on this date and the baby came on this date. That's going to be hard to explain. How many are going to believe, well, she was a virgin and, and, and that's God's Messiah? They didn't believe it when Jesus came on the scene? Seen 33 years later. But when we talk about money problems, I mean, think about it. Here he is, he's living in a country occupied and conquered by the Romans. And then he has to go to Bethlehem to be taxed what little cash money he has they want. <laughs> Problem. It's expensive. He had to take the burdensome journey of going all the way to Bethlehem to register for taxation. But that really fulfilled Micah 5, 2, which said, You, O Bethlehem, are not the least in Judah, for out of you shall come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Hmm. God doesn't forget. Taxation. Then there was extortion, because I've told you this before, but remember, the tax collectors, you didn't just fill out a form, this is what you made, and they gave you the taxes. They decided how much you could pay. Even if you couldn't pay it, they decided. And if they had met their quota, you paid more. And if they had met their quota, but they needed to make some money on their own, you paid more. They decided. And so here he is. He's had these marital issues, and now he's married, but he hasn't known his wife, and She's expecting, and the angel said it's God's Son, and how's he going to provide for God's son? How do you give somebody who left all of heaven's glory and born as a man, and now he's in a simple carpenter's home, and they're taxing you. Money problems. Hmm. You see, I think he was filling the crunch. And it just got worse. Got to care for a child I didn't know I was having till the angel told me. Got to go a little bit more to, to Bethlehem. That's an expensive trip. We'll have to stay with somebody. Oh, my, and then we got to pay taxes when we get there because they had to pay the taxes as soon as they were put on the roll. And they didn't know how much it was going to be. It could be a little or it could be a lot. Do you get the sound that is sort of bad? It's called the life being squished out of you by money problems. Don't think that you're the first one to have those. But I want you to notice about Joseph. Think about it. He just keeps trusting God. God told him to take Mary. And he has to go to Bethlehem. God knows all things. So even though she's very pregnant, they got to go. And he just goes. Worries, fears, and all. But he goes. Later, the wise men come and bring gifts. I think it's God providing because Joseph is going to have to go live in Egypt, of all things, a foreign country, and hide out from Herod. And is this enough to last till he can come back to Israel and go to Nazareth and set up shop again? Pressure, pressure, pressure. Money problems. But remember, I want you to remember, all this is to feel, fulfill a scripture. Hosea 11.1. 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Joseph, being a just man, a Jewish man, a worshiper of God, obviously knew about the Messiah. And so he just trusts God and goes. At each step of his life, you see Joseph... Trusting God. And he spent enough time to God that when the angel appeared to him, he knew exactly what to do. The angel told him, but understand something. He was used to God conveying him those messages. He acted on God's will and God took care of him. He just trust and went. So you just trust and keep on going. The third thing. He had marital problems, he had money problems, and he had stress management problems. Stress management problems. Now, we think that we invented stress. (laughs) Oh, my. We're so self-centered. But see, he had lots of stress. I want you to think of it. First stress in his life. Mary's pregnant. What? She's what? What? That's, that's not mine. The second stress. The child to be born is God's son. You get to raise him here on earth. Now, I want you to think about how stressful that's got to be. This is God incarnate, God in the flesh. If you lie, he knows you're lying. If you goof up as a father, he knows you have goofed up. If the other kid. And say, oh Jesus you think you're perfect he's perfect now, if you don't think that is stress if you think that's a holiday something is wrong with you and if you really mess up I mean you really do bad is God going to get you you got his son and you're messing up I told you not to do that try a thunderbolt buddy stress Think about this. We already talked about going to Bethlehem. Then he gets word, hey, Herod's looking for the kid. You got to go to Egypt. Where? We left Egypt a long time ago. That's not a good place. Get to Egypt. Stress. It's time Herod's dead. Get back to Israel. Then he has to listen to all the chirpity chirp chirp of a gossip of a small town called Nazareth. As they move back in. Yeah, that's Mary and Joseph. You know the story there, don't you? Yeah, she claims that's the Messiah. Really? She was a virgin. Uh-huh. I hear it all the time. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. Because the Bible prophesied that would happen. Amen. Do we understand that? Hmm. Do we understand that? Isaiah seven fourteen. Reminds us of that. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin. Shall conceive and bear a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel. Now I want you to know something. The liberal scholars say virgin is just a word for a young woman. Do you think God didn't know the difference between virgin and young woman? I mean didn't he make everything? He knows the difference. And that's what the the word means in the context it's used. Some of you children, you'll have to explain that later, but that's your duty and not mine. But see, he has to leave and then he has to raise and he has to restart the business. Now, why do I say stress management? Later on, I want you to think about it. Later on, Jesus starts his ministry, says his brothers and his mother come, his family comes, and they're going to snatch him up because he's opposing the very religious leaders of the day, and they're out to kill him, and they think he's lost his mind, so they come to get him. Not a mention is made of Joseph. Later on, as he's hanging there on the cross, there's his mother, Apostle John. Where's Joseph? Where's his daddy? Most scholars think that he died at an early age. There was a reason for that. He had extreme stress. I believe. You can believe what you want. But you understand that stress management is nothing new. You see, he went through all this. He might not have understood it, but he was faithful to everything for God's eternal glory, he surrendered to what God told him to do. Did you hear that? The way he handled stress was this. This is for God's glory. I know I'm in his will. I'm going to endure this and settle this for God's glory. And sometimes in our stress-filled world, we forget that we're not living to chase the things of earth. We're living to prepare for heaven. So that when we leave, our legacy will be, what did we do for God? I'm going to take it a step further. I want you to look up. Adults, you're not going to leave a thing except your kids or grandkids, nieces and nephews, children you have influenced. Why are children so important to your pastor? Well, it shows the life of a church is one thing. But they're important to me because that's what we leave for the next generation. Some of you parents better stand up and raise them according to godly standards and hold to that standard, okay? I had people come up to my kids and say, well, you did that and you're a preacher's kid? And I stepped in right away and said, uh-uh, don't be laying that on my kids. They should do it because they're a Christian, because if it's a right for a Christian to do it, then it's right for a preacher's kid to do it, a deacon's kid to do it, or your kid to do it. If it's wrong, it's wrong for the same reasons. And I could really get wound up right here, but you need to understand that we are the parents. And we are responsible for them. And we want them to act right, not because it embarrasses us, but for God's glory. You see, we may think that nobody knows us. And we'll never do this famous thing or that famous thing. Well, let me tell you, Joseph was just that kind of guy. A preacher from a backwater town, or a carpenter from a backwater town that raised the Son of God. Wow. <laughs> you see, he was given over totally to God's purpose for his life, are we? Let me explain. You see, there's a distinguished line of Christians all the way from Joseph on down that you may have never heard of. There's a fellow named John Stoppitz, a German. He was a Catholic priest. So, what's the big deal about John Stoppitz? John Stoppitz counseled and taught Martin Luther, the great preacher of the Reformation. And Luther, before he died, said of Stoppitz, I would have descended into hell if it hadn't been for Dr. Stoppitz teaching me about saved by grace and Jesus' work on the cross. There's a guy in the shadows. I can keep going. You ever hear of a guy named John Eglin? Say no. He was the little known preacher in the little known church that led Charles Spurgeon to Christ. Who's Charles Spurgeon? One of the greatest preacher, preachers of the last two or three centuries. Spurgeon's church was so large there in London that they had a, a basement, and the basement was full of people, more than this many people, that just prayed during his services and people were saved every time he preached. And he was led to the Lord by John Eglin. Now, the last fella was Edward Kimball. Who was Edward Kimball? He was just an ordinary guy teaching a small Sunday school teacher. He also sold shoes. Who did he lead to the Lord? Dwight L. Moody. One of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known. But you don't hear about his name. Very few of us know Kimball. My point is this, you may think that God can't use you, that you're just a little bitty person in a little bitty town and a little bitty church. I got news for you, you don't know how God wants to use you until you surrender and do what God wants. At Christmas time, we should be remembered of people like Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, and Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, that God took out of ordinary situations, ordinary problems, and because they surrendered it to God, He used them in mighty ways. And down through the centuries, God still uses ordinary people with ordinary problems to accomplish His extraordinary will. Some of you don't know how you're influencing the next generation. But you better make sure you're influencing it towards Jesus. Amen. Some of you have never surrendered your heart and life to Jesus to do his will. And you need to do that this morning. I want to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Some of you need to come forward. You know who Jesus is. You've asked him to save you from your sins. But you've never made that public. You've never followed in believer's baptism. Which is by immersion. And you need to do that. Be a member of this church. Others need to become members by statement. Saying, I believe like you believe. Been scripturally baptized, scripturally saved. But I don't know where my letter is. That's what statement means. Some need to come by letter from another church of like faith and order. Some need to come to surrender this morning. For the first time, God has hit you between the eyes. Or maybe the second or third time if you're stubborn like me. And he said, you need to surrender to my will. I want you to live for me, and you need to come in rededication. You need to come in surrender to do what God wants you to do. To quit living life for yourself and start living it for Jesus. To leave something behind for the next generation that points to Jesus. I don't know what your decision is, but God knows what it needs to be. And right now, he's giving you that opportunity. Because we're going to stand after I pray, and we're going to sing, and you come as God needs you to come. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your uh, word. Let us obey you for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand please?